I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. So what is the thing that gets you about Knight Rider? The thing that gets me about Knight Rider is that, um, and I, this is the thing that jumped out to me as a kid, is, and I loved it, is that Knight Rider will frequently drive Kit, his supercar, into the back of this moving semi-truck. It just goes up this ramp into the back and just stops, which would be really fucking hard to do. Yeah, oh, yeah. But you can totally do it. I'm sure you can do it. But what always got Listen, me is... I did it in Spy Hunter all the time. I don't know what the big deal is. So when he has to get out again, how does he back out at freeway speeds? Or do they have to stop no, the whole they truck? No, they did it on Mythbusters. You can totally do it. Yeah, you just you got to roll out in neutral yeah, and then and immediately then throw it, it into like fifth. Oh, it seems like that would fuck up your car. Well, that's why you need a supercar. Oh, man. Um, there, by the way, uh, that car... Um, have you seen the steering wheel for Kit? Not yes. recently. I sat in Kit at Universal Studios. It is the worst steering wheel in the world. Oh, yeah. That there are people on the internet and, and fans of things that recreate the Back to the Future DeLorean, and they get screen accurate everything. So it looks exactly on the inside what this thing does. And you're just like, holy shit. And it, who wouldn't want to drive the DeLorean from Back to the Future? And the people who own it say they love driving them around because everyone wants to look at their car. So there's a video that somebody did of somebody who created a skiing accurate version of Kit from Knight Rider. And the problem with the steering wheel, and I think anyone who's listening to this, please just Google the steering wheel from Knight Rider. It is like a stick, a horizontal stick with like bat wings. It looks like a TIE fighter, but not even a TIE fighter with tall wings. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's no bueno. It's the TIE advance. It, it is a TIE advance, except it's longer in the middle and the wings are short. So you're driving this thing holding essentially two joysticks attached to a yoke. And when I get to see somebody in a YouTube video driving this car, a thing happens, which is the guy's wearing a GoPro on his head. So you can see him drive the car. You see his hands. It's like a first person shooter with a car. And every time there's any kind of a wide corner, you can feel this guy tense up because he's terrified of the way you have to turn a wheel when you take a really big turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And he's, it's like you have to throw it and catch it, throw it and catch it, throw it and catch it. And you're like, oh. <laughs> and you, see, you feel him tense up and relax. And later he's just like, oh, my God, that, that car scares the crap out of me. I mean, it would have to be a car that could drive itself because that thing is a nightmare. I can't even imagine having to drive that even in a thing where you're doing anything other than staying in the same lane, maybe changing a lane a little bit. But anything that requires you to do like a U-turn in that thing would be a fucking nightmare. I'd be afraid to back up in that thing. <laughs> it's it's a monster. And I'm like, who the fuck designed this steering wheel? It's like, well, somebody in the 80s who thought it looked cool, who knew they didn't have to drive it. It's Yeah, style over substance. That's like the whole rule of thumb of the 80s. And it's even worse. There's like this pa platform that's attached to the back of it. It's really worth looking up because... You just feel for this poor motherfucker driving this car. Here's something hilarious about Knight Rider. So Kit, the guy that does the voice for Kit, is Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets oh, World. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he's also Dustin Hoffman's dad in The Graduate. Yes, he is. Which is fucking crazy. And once you me. know that it's him, you can't you not can, hear yeah, it. No, absolutely. But I'm just like... What, a, what like he's always been somebody's dad? He it's always a is weird, or he's been somebody's car. Yeah, I mean, but think about the relationship well, they have. What's like, what's funny to me is that um, the kid from Boy Meet, Meets World, his older brother, is played by Will Friedle, who's the voice of Terry McGinnis in Batman Beyond. Yep, mm. that's very. So true. you watch that show, and it's Batman and Kit from Knight Rider having a conversation about bullying. Oh, so, okay, you know who does, as long as we're playing this game, you know who does the voice of Shredder in the original Ninja Turtles cartoon? It's the Uncle Phil from yeah. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Bel and when you don't know that it's him, you're like, oh, okay, I like that. But then you just watch a scene where Uncle Phil is pissed off and you're like, 
There's a shredder. Yeah, <laughs> he's just there like he you just have him like get those turtles, <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's it's pretty great because then I'm like, oh my god, that's wonderful. I love that. And you realize there really aren't that many actors who get get paying gigs all the time. No, well, no, it's that's... also like when you listen to a voice actor enough times doing a diff- enough different roles, like you can hear their real voice behind the character, and like you start to get a feeling for like, okay, when they're doing this character, they do their voice in this way. When they do this character, they make it like this. I can I can recognize Jim Cummings no matter what voice he does. Jim Cummings, Maurice LaMarche, uh Phil Lamar. There's a few of them. Um Billy West. Very Billy West. Like, Billy West has kind of a, a way that he does things. but Especially, West, like, when he's exaggerating his voice. I think like, I can recognize... I, I always hear Stimpy. Yeah. I can recognize uh, Rob Paulson pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing with Billy West, though, is that you could be like, oh, Billy West is this character. And I was like, oh, of course, because Billy West can do literally anything. Like, that man is insane what he can do. And that's why I hate Cree Summer. Because she only does one voice and she's in everything. And then you have somebody yeah. like um, H. What is it? H. Something Benjamin. H. John Benjamin. H. John, yeah, John Benjamin, Benjamin who has literally one voice. Yeah. Yet he can tell. He can create different characters with it. That I'm not going to mix up Bob He's Belcher got, with uh, Archer. He has. He has more than one voice. I do want. I credit where credit is done. He has On upwards movies, of two voices. He does two voices because he does Jason and he does McGurk on home movies. And if you listen. On Bob's Burgers, he does a lot of the like the background voices too, and you'll always be like, "Oh, that's his other voice." Oh, H. John Benjamin, I I love H. John oh, Benjamin. He's great. I just want to he say he has the bluest eyes. I've never seen him. Um, I did meet the guy at Comic Con in like 2001 who did the voice of Bender on Futurama, and he does not look the way. Oh, you think. he's gr- um, uh, John, John DiMaggio. John yeah. DiMaggio. He's, he's a very nice guy. He's great. Um, yeah, he also does. I mean, he probably has a, a dozen voices that he does, but you start to to pick them up. Oh, he's done so many fucking voices. He's he's been the Joker, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, he scored that Adventure Time gig, and that was like, oh yeah, like that was big time for him. That was, but great yeah, for like him. you listen to Bender and you listen to Jake the Dog, and it's kind of hard to be like, okay, this is the same person. And he also did the voice of Aquaman on Batman: Brave yeah, and the Bold, the best Aquaman. And he's like the Steve Reeves Hercules Aquaman. He's so much fun on that show. Oh, oh god, god that yes. the whole show is incredible. Uh, anything that just has more of Aquaman going, <laughs> it's just fucking. He's always slapping people on the back and naming things. He's pretty great. But there's only like twelve voice actors. That's yeah, they really that's are. How you, that's how you know them all is because there's, it's really, it's a small community and... And half of them are in Skyrim multiple yeah, times. Right. Yeah. It was really kind of fun is occasionally you'll get the, in Skyrim, you get the person talking to themselves. Yeah. With not even a variation of the voice. You're like, he goes, hi, I'm Beldick. And he goes, hi, blah, 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 blah. And then the other guy has the same voice. I'm like, well, that was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really crazy. So, um... Uh, when I was at, I think it was Emerald City last year, or no, it was maybe it was a couple of years ago. Maurice Lamarche was doing a panel with maybe it was Rob Paulson. It was it was yeah, I yeah. was there. It was you and me, and it was 2017. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's doing a panel with Rob Paulson, and he told the story about auditioning for Homer Simpson. And how he was all fucked up on cocaine, and he bombed the audition, <laughs> and he told this great story. And he was like, so the moral of the story, boys and girls, is don't do cocaine. Yeah. And I was thinking about that for a second. I was like, Maurice LaMarche could have been Homer Simpson. Yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. And I was trying to imagine what that would sound like. That would be weird. Yeah. He does get a decent amount of voices on on groaning. uh, Oh, yeah. No, no, totally. So they brought him back. Yeah. He he came back and apparently and didn't bomb the next one. No, no. He he didn't because he does a ton of the voices on... uh, well, he got in with Warner Brothers, and then like he got into Futurama as Kiff, and that was kind of <sighs> Kiff Croker. He's a great character. One of the great. I think my favorite thing about Kiff on on Futurama is that um, you just see him as this poor, put upon, abused lackey. And yeah. there's an episode where he gets power over people, and he's a fucking dictator. Oh yeah, no, I'm, of course he's gonna be. He's just like, do this now, and they like start to talk back, and you slaps him across the face and cuts them off. It's like I kind of love that because it would be easy to have him just always be a nice guy, but he's a nice guy because he's cowed, right? And um, so, speaking of of setting people off, um, I I can't I can't turn up the opportunity since I have Joe Preddy in the room. Uh, let's talk about Jeff Johns. Oh God, let's not. We could <laughs> not. That's a that's a. 
so Jeff Johns is is doing the thing that um, I would not want to do because it would get a hex put on you, which is that he's writing a sequel to Watchmen right now. Yeah. That I think that what we've decided, what I've decided is that DC stands for Doomsday Cult. That's fair. And, I think that's fair. And I, I see a pattern of behavior here that started with um, DC screwing over Alan Moore for the rights to Watchmen in the 80s. And Alan Moore took it like an adult. He, he hates their guts and doesn't want to see them ever again. He, I think his exact quote is, congratulations, you've successfully swindled me. Yeah. I'd... I don't want to see you people ever again. And he immediately started studying the dark arts. Yeah. And I think this is, this is all connected. This is my, oh, this is my theory here, is that, they, that there is a doomsday cult, probably worshippers of Cthulhu, something Lovecraftian behind the people at, at uh, DC Comics. Cabin in the Woods, but with comic books. It is Cabin in the Woods, <laughs> except no, they, they want the monster to win. DC, like all great American corporations, worships at the altar of Mammon. They obviously. Do. So I, what I think is happening here is that they're like, okay, they they want to set off Alan Moore in a Tetsuo esque destruction. <laughs> they're trying to trigger him. They're triggering. They're triggering Alan Moore. They're essentially shooting Watchmen in front of him like the end of Akira Volume Three, and they want him to snap. So they're like. Let's write sequels to his stories in Green Lantern. You know they Let's just see. brought Tom Strong into mainstream DC continuity. I know oh, that's God. what I mean. They're they're doing. They're trying to prime it. They want that slow growing uh, doomsday hex that will essentially just poison the world. It's like the the plot of uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service with the thing that will eventually <laughs> sterilize all animals on Earth. It's like that, and they think okay, okay. If before Watchmen didn't set him off, what can we do? Let's write a fucking sequel where where Rorschach meets Batman. Oh, God. But so, not Rorschach, Rorschach. Yeah, it's a different Rorschach. It's a different it's Rorschach too. Yeah. Oh God. Oh God. And it's like it's it's like he's somebody a said, legacy character now. Somebody. So in fucking, a weird way, I'm doing to I'm doing to Joe <laughs> what they're doing to Alan Moore. It's like you could not find a like pumping the super soaker. It's like you could not find a group of words that are more distasteful to me than Rorschach 2 meets Batman. That's like, I I would ser- I would rather be hit like, oh, okay. Ozymandias well, the- is hanging out with Lex Luthor. Oh, God. And then the comedian shows up and shoots Ozymandias out a window. Because it's symmetry, Joe. It's poetic. It's garbage. It's garbage. <laughs> it's just... This is this is the problem with Jeff Johns. It's always been the problem with Jeff Johns, and it's always going to be the problem with Jeff Johns is that he can't fucking write anything without humping it to death. No, because he has no fucking appreciation for subtlety or respect for the past or what came before him. He thinks because he has a good idea that he should share it with everybody. With when really what he should do is go and fucking get a, like one of those big sixty-four packs of fucking crayons, go into the fucking private room that DC gives him, and just scrawl it on the fucking wall so that he can enjoy it and nobody else has to be inflicted with it i'm just gonna throw something under the fire wally west <laughs> yeah that's wally, right. wally west right that uh, i've been talking about this lately so i've been thinking about it a lot what a fucking crime it was uh, i'm when i met i met brian butchelato who did the new 50 the art for the new 52 flash and the one thing we fucking agreed on is how like significantly bart allen got fucked over since it was like a no-brainer that he should have been the next Flash. Instead, he got eight episodes in this fucking, like, or eight issues in this fucking garbage. And then death. beaten to death. Yeah, which was fucking garbage. Like, why would you not just let him be the fucking Flash? And then it's like, well, I'm going to bring back Wally West. Yeah, and, and they changed his status quo, like, three times in those eight issues. Yeah, it, it's just, this is the the problem with DC, and it's it goes back to a conversation me and Mike were having on a friend's Facebook, or on a, on a Facebook post I made, right? This is the whole reason why I've just fucking wiped, like, washed my hands of superhero comics. Because all it takes is one fucking idiot that thinks the Silver Age was the greatest thing that ever happened to come in and destroy an entire fucking comic universe. Now, I know what you're saying. Joe, you're being dramatic. But that's the way, like, I am not a halfway guy. I don't get into shit halfway. I fucking fully embrace something or I fully fucking push it away from me. And, like, I don't need Jeff Johns jerking off over half the fucking DC universe. Here's, Here's the thing. When Jeff Johns was, I want to say, 12, 12 some, somewhere around there, uh, was when uh, Connor Kent as Superboy was first a thing back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. 
Um, is he that young? Yeah, I oh, believe God. so. It's weird when I realize maybe he's, maybe he was a little bit older. He's probably only five he, to ten years older than us. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna guess he's somewhere in like early forties at at most. Okay, but he at the time there was an open question like, oh. He, he's not entirely Kryptonian. He has human DNA. Mm-hmm. Where did his human DNA come from? And Jeff Johns writes a letter into the letter column and he says, I think I figured it out. It's Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. He's the other half of his DNA. And then the editor writes, you know, they publish this and they respond. And they basically say, ha ha, that would be really interesting. But no, that's not even remotely the case. Basically, like completely shut him down in a nice way mm-hmm. as you do. Jeff Johns gets employed in the comic book industry, becomes the writer of Young Justice, immediately introduces the concept that Lex Luthor is the human DNA for Connor Kent. Just immediately. 73 is when Jeff Johns is born. Okay, I you were going to so, say he was 73 years so old. He's in his mid-40s. In yeah, mid-40s. He's my age. Yeah. So he would have been in his early 20s. So, okay. okay. Older, older than I thought. Um, But, like, that, that is, to me, quintessentially everything that is wrong with Jeff Johns' writing is it's not about advancing the characters or doing something different with them. It's about a making them the way that they were when he was a kid and then writing more stories like, like basically putting everything to his perspective on how these characters were when he was a kid. Oh no, absolutely. It's not about moving the ball forward. It's not about sharing these characters with a new audience or doing new interesting things with them. It's about doing the same things with them his way. No, absolutely. It's it's the same thing Didio was doing. And it's, it's, to me, it's, I have no problem with comics going in a, like, people taking superheroes in a new direction, because what the fuck else are you going to do? Also, you can't, because they've been taken in that direction before. I don't care who you are. You are not going to find a new take on Batman. You are not going to find a new take on Superman. You need to be a good, solid writer. But and what if need... Batman was a monkey? Uh, it's been done. That was a crossover. Definitely that was fucking JL... been done. <laughs> it was called JL Ape. Yep. Absolutely. I'm not even joking. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't the first time. And... Actually, Detective Chimp is what if Batman was a monkey? Yeah, I mean, yeah. pretty much. It'd be great. It I is would, great. Like, and that's the. It's why in this day and age are we having to be subjected to like. Jeff Johns thinks this will be the coolest thing ever. DC knows they can stamp Watchmen on something and it'll sell a billion fucking copies because uh, they're catering to the same fanboys they've been catering to since the fucking mid 90s. Because copyright is forever and because these characters are marketable and they know they have a death grip yeah, on them. Absolutely. And all they have to do is keep putting out comic books with the word Batman on the cover yeah. and they'll sell 100,000 copies. So I'm I'm going to do something that it may be a little bit hard. I let's let's try to do this. Let's say something nice about Jeff Johns. I really um, like um, Green Lantern Rebirth. Yeah. Uh, the first like couple years of his Green Lantern run, I think, is excellent. Well, I'm talking about the standalone where Kyle brings Hal back and, like, at the end, they're fighting the Parallax entity, which has kind of been... They have to all... It's it's all the Green Lanterns are there, and it's it's Kyle and Guy and John, and then Hal comes back. And Hal is talking about how each of them works at the end. And he's describing each one. And it's like, you you were paying attention. Like, you definitely have fucking good and interesting yeah. ideas about he, these characters. Legitimately, he loves these characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't in- necessarily agree with where he wants to take them. He's not a bad writer. No, I think... He's, he- a, he's a very good writer. I think that he's written good books. I think he needs an editor. I he, think so. Well, I think and, he needs yes. somebody who is sitting there saying, no, John... Do so, like you can't do this. Do something else. I, I think that he's like a, you can you can work harder. You can do better. I think he's a he's a good writer with bad habits. Yes. And I think this is similar to kind of um, Brian Michael Bendis. No, abs- absolutely. I think that's his closest. That's his Marvel equivalent. And, is that they're both very talented writers? <laughs> oh, they're not. They. I think no. They're both at DC now. Yeah, or they will be within a couple of months. So I, I think that they're both very talented writers, and that their best work is on small solo characters that don't cross over with the overall universe. 
and that the thing that makes them bring out their bad habits are when they're put in charge of the overarching continuity or major events. Well, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And I think Jeff Johns, the way I feel about Jeff Johns is very similar to the way I feel about George Lucas. You want that guy in charge of your universe so that he's talking to the people that are going to go out and write Superman, they're going to go out and write The Flash, they're going to go out and write Green Lantern, but they're going to have some fucking distance from it, Mm -hmm. which he does not have. That is what... His biggest See, problem is I, I is don't that agree with no, that. There's no distance. I I, I, I think that yeah. Jeff Johns deserves to be on the same page with Brian Michael Bendis and Grant Morrison, where you give them something that's by itself, you let them do what they want with that one character, but they don't get to touch anything else. But that's all Grant Morrison wants to do. Like Grant Morrison doesn't give a shit about. Oh, Grant Morrison doesn't care about the rules of the universe. No, exactly. I mean, right, like, which is why he fucks everything up when they have him do something like Final Crisis. Yeah, but you don't give him Final I, I, Crisis. I mean, even when you give him the JLA, it's just in the pocket of the JLA. And yeah. he has to tell big stories within that bubble. But what you don't give him is the thing that all these other books tie into because nothing will fit to the pieces that Grant Morrison is creating. But I Especially because he changes those pieces day to day. And I think as far as, as Jeff Johns goes... Um, his big problem, I think, is continuity porn, is what I like to call it. Is Absolutely. that he will find an old story and then base a massive crossover off an element in a story that was left unexplored. And sometimes you can do some cool things with that. I think that the place that he lost me on Green Lantern was at the end of the Sinestro Corps War, where the Green Lantern Corps has done battle with an evil version of the Green Lantern Corps led by their archenemy, Sinestro. And Sinestro has a yellow ring, and all his bad guys had yellow rings. So it makes sense that you just multiply the thing that has existed since the 60s. And now there's one guy, a evil guy with a yellow ring. Now there's thousands of them, and they go to fucking war. And... It was a great story they built up for a couple years. And the problem is, is they just kept increasing the scale to the point where this is something I think Claremont did really well on the X-Men, which is after you tell a big story, it's time to take a breather for two or three issues and have a story where the X-Men play baseball or the X-Men just deal with a small scale problem or one of the X-Men goes to a mall and deals with bigotry from some human and, you know, we build up X-Men stuff. We don't just go right back into space right away. Well, and I think this is this is the biggest problem, and this is one of the things. This is just yet another things that I'm exhausted by, uh, as pertains to superhero comics. Is we just read Akira? Tons of fucking people die in Akira, and that means something because you're not going to go and read Akira two when that character is suddenly and inexplicably black back, and we have to deal with some ridiculous story as to why. Yeah, like no fucking clone of. Of of Ryu is going to show up and be like, ah, oh, yes, you thought that was me, but it wasn't me because clearly it was my clone that was sent out and blah, blah, blah. You didn't hear about Akira 2, The Search for Tetsuo's Gold? <laughs> no. It's, uh, it's written by uh, Jeff uh, Johns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the gunshot you hear in the distance is me fucking shooting myself. I just, it's, it's, you can't do when, like, something like the Sinestro Corps or fucking god forbid blackest night which read like a 14 year old's idea of something that was fucking grim and gritty yeah it's 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 just like okay well so what are you selling me on here because there are no stakes you're playing with the biggest characters in the dc universe you think that i'm just gonna accept the fact that you're gonna you're gonna sacrifice a few fucking characters mostly women because you can get away with that nobody fucking cares but like it doesn't mean anything because a year from now, the status quo will be exactly what it is now. Like, we're talking about Batman and Catwoman getting married. I guarantee you, it is the, the clock on Catwoman is ticking. She will be dead within a year. And then within a year from then, she'll be fucking back. Because, god damn it, if there's only one fucking story when somebody gets married, unless you're Lois fucking Lane. It's like... But no, even there's, then, there's that went two. away for a while, too. There's murder, or there's divorce by... Satan. Uh, that, okay. All right. Satan is That's a really fair. good lawyer, by Divorce the way. Divorce by Satan is a legitimate plot point. But it's, I think, more and more, it's like I, I get, you know, I, I still kind of have those negative feelings towards Jeff Johns, but more and more it has expanded to just this frustration that I've had for the last few years with the entire genre of superheroes and the fact that, like, I just prefer smaller stories like i've well, read you, you want something that feels like it has stakes attached to well, it. like you what, get to the end of the story and something has happened 
and that's never going to have not happened. And well, I guess a- I guess my beef with it is that that scale doesn't equal drama. That stakes, yeah. you can have stakes that exist in a small story. What if one of them is there's a story where simply it's just Peter Parker trying to stop Aunt May from finding out his identity and him going to great. Ex- I mean, that isn't the same thing as stopping uh, the Guardians of the Universe from destroying all free will in the universe. I mean, yeah. But if it's important to the characters, I mean, sometimes it's just something as simple as. I just want to stop this person that I love from getting hurt in a simple situation. And, um, or like there's an episode, there's an issue of all-star Superman. It's one of my favorite one in that entire run where it's all about these other characters coming together, uh, through time travel to fight a menace just so a young Clark Kent can be there when his father dies. Yeah. Well, and, but, yes. And it's not about, you know, stopping, you know, stopping all, you know, the heat death of the universe or anything, but it's all about just giving this one person this important moment in their life and giving them a chance to say goodbye, because that's more important to Superman than almost anything. And what I, what I get out of these superhero comics more than anything else is exhaustion that when in Jeff Johns's Green Lantern run, when you have that space between the Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night, there's no small stories in between. What there is for two years is a build up to Blackest Night. Yeah. And then after Blackest Night ends, it's a build up to like the third lantern or whatever. When, the, yeah. Whatever the next event is. And it just builds onto the next thing yeah. and the next thing. And when that series started, when it was really good, Hal Jordan got a job with the Air Force as a pilot. And they gave him a, a supporting cast where he had a love interest who was a fellow kind of cocky pilot. Um, I think her name was Cowgirl is what the call sign she went by. He had a that's, boss. That's a weird name. Yeah. A- um, he had a boss who was like his commanding officer who knew he was Green Lantern and could cover for him so he could go fight crime so he didn't have the Peter Parker reputation of being unreliable. Um, he had friends. He was based out of Coast City. But as soon as a Green Lantern... Corps and then so as soon as the Green Lantern uh, Sinestro Corps war ended, he never went back to Earth. He never actually broke up with that girlfriend. She just stopped existing. He never left the Air Force. He stopped, just stopped going there. And he was never out of space, never out of costume, never doing anything other than building for the next universe ending event. And it just got, I was so fucking tired. And it's like, you know what I fucking love about Doctor Who? is that Doctor Who will have things where he tries to save all time and space, and then there's just a story where he has to save, like, three astronauts on a satellite. Or he's just out fucking around, doing whatever. There's, like, a there's like a vampire that takes over a fucking TV station in the 50s, and it's, like, that's not for the stakes of the world. It's for, like, the, the people that work at the TV station. Well, and I don't think there... I've had, I, I think, event fatigue for so long, and... It's the the whole idea that like I I just find myself more and more wanting smaller moments. Like it's not even about stakes anymore. It's just about an honest fucking moment between characters. Like that's what's that's what's missing from for me is that the for the last few years, like the thing that was great about the Flintstones was it was fucking honest. It wasn't trying to like set up something. It was just telling a story from an honest viewpoint. The, and like I the Flintstones comic book, not yeah, the cartoon. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Flintstones comic book. Check I, out our like, episode on the Flintstones with Tobias. Oh God, yeah. please check that out. Uh, and you can check out our views episode. Which please I do. Think yes, is also please good. do. But like, there is so much that I I think is is missing because people want that big moment. People want that big event moment, and it's like. What about and oh, so I've been randomly listening to uh, so Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang and Adam Scott from uh, Parks and Rec and other things. Party Down, if you haven't seen Party Down, you should definitely watch it. Did a, a podcast called You Talking You Two to Me, and I always think of You Two because Scott Summer and Jean Grey's song is "One" by You Two, which is a breakup song, not a fucking marriage song, and that. Just tells you everything you need to know about what, that relationship. Scott Summers gets romance wrong. Yeah, right. But like that whole that whole issue is just the wedding, and it's great. There are no fucking stakes. Yeah, there's right? a and human the, moment. Yeah, and not it's, just costume people punching each other. And they did that shit in the '90s. Like yeah. you can do that shit now. The reason I love there's so many image comics that I love because there is so much more of that. I don't feel like I'm being sold on the next event. 
I feel like I'm interacting with these characters. And like that honesty, that sincerity, it's just, it's largely gone from modern superhero comics. And it's because they're fucking hooked on that event crack. They want to just, and it's all just so easy to fix. Just nobody wants to take the steps to do it. Everybody wants the the mediocre money rather than taking the st- the time to start at ground zero and and kind of spreading the love around. Well, I I think that you're dangerously close to a very bitter argument about the way that like Marvel and DC basically do their entire business. Oh, absolutely. Like the way that they publish comics. The, the way that they make their money and the fact that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people whose jobs are dependent on keeping the thing that they have going, going, whether or not anybody could look at that and go, but there's so much of a better way that it's, you could do this that would make it so much more artistically pure, whether or not we have any idea whether that would work out on a business level. But, but the thing with it, though, too, is it's like being in a bad relationship that the unknown of being alone is scarier to a lot of people, and it has been to me in bad relationships, than staying with a thing that makes you unhappy and doesn't work, but it's familiar, and you know what the ups and downs of it are, and you know what the highs and the lows are, even if overall it's low. And they've been trying to survive and grow in a in a place where they refuse to adjust to the fact that comic books have changed. Yeah, well, th- that that's... That's and what I'm saying is that there are stakes. Yeah. There's risk. Yeah. Something like the Flintstones is allowed to exist because there was no risk. Mm-hmm. If the Flintstones sucked and failed, no one would have cared. And almost all the... And you're never going to fix the systemic problems that you have with corporate comics like Marvel and DC until nobody cares. I, I think the thing that... And we've talked about this before to buy on the one of the last fun sizes we did, or is it the Black Ops episode? Please give to us on Patreon.com. Um, that... The, the comic book industry really has to change. It has to fundamentally change if Marvel and DC are going to exist in the future of oh, it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that that change isn't going to come from Marvel and DC. It's going to come from Image and Dark Horse and Boom and Action Labs and a dozen other and small press Valiant yeah. studios. Doing really well Valiant. Right and Marvel and DC are going to wait until that kind of success is understood and proven and then they're going to go, oh, yeah. okay, they're gonna let somebody how, do I do the, how do I do the, the weak-ass version of that? Right. That's, that's always what they're going to do. I think that that change is going to happen, but the question is, how long are they going to survive? They've got a little bit of wind in their backs because their characters are more popular than they've ever been, and they completely fail in their ability to take advantage of that. And I think that the, the way that they, they get some success off of that is that the people who are already buying superhero comics probably buy more of them because of the movies, but there's nobody who only watches the movies who comes into it. There was actually a really uh, good example that I had that I, I was working at um, a used bookstore a while back and a coworker of mine who reads comic books, but not superhero comics books. She was fucking pissed about the change to Captain America where, you know, the reveal that he's a secret Hydra agent, which has been undone by now. Right. But that whole storyline and what hit me with that is the, the visceral reaction she had to it um, is actually a positive thing that Marvel cannot take advantage of. You know why she got angry about this? Because she gave a shit about Steve Rogers. Yeah, absolutely. And this is kind of my point is that right now Marvel is even more than DC is, even though DC has, because like if you, DC is putting a lot of money into doing television right now and they're being successful. I mean, people are raving about, um, uh, black, black lightning, black lightning and Supergirl is popular. Yeah. And they're getting ready to do a teen Titans, which looks awful, but, um, I think that right now Marvel has so much comic book goodwill. Mm-hmm. It's like why you can keep making the physical issues you are. And my question has always been, why do you not have some, maybe you pick your three biggest titles and you give, you make digital only versions of those that people don't have to walk into a comic book store to find that mm-hmm. barrier to that gate that, that, that just right there. I think you could fucking, hugely increase your readership. How is it that my ex-coworker who gives a shit about Steve Rogers 
doesn't read Captain America comics. Because she has to go to a comic book store to do that. And traditionally, comic book stores are not friendly to anybody that isn't a fucking, that doesn't look like us. No, I mean, even even if that changed. And there are good, great comic book stores well, out there. But she's still yeah. not going into those stores. And it, and it goes beyond even just the store and the gatekeepery bullshit that comes out. It's the product. Yeah. Because you could change all of that and it's still not new reader friendly that no. we have all of these people who are emotionally invested in Steve Rogers being a great guy, but they're not reading Captain America comics. They're going to Captain America movies and even buying Captain America merchandise and t-shirts, but they don't give a shit about the comics. And that is the biggest failure Marvel could have is that how could you fuck this up? It's like somebody being a shitty crack dealer. <laughs> You're not getting poor if you've got crack. And the and the thing is that like they are doing that. They are dipping their toes in that water. Marvel is putting out digital only series. DC has put out digital only series. Uh I think Wonder Woman 77 was digitally yep. digital mm-hmm. only. And those um, ones do well. When they give it when they give these things a chance and they promote them, they can do well, but I think that well, they're so they've doubled down on the hardcore lifer Wednesday warrior type who uh, they've tried to placate and win over with more and more events and more and more shocking 90s moments and more mm-hmm. and more of the absolute same. And this sort of labyrinthine continuity that makes it impossible for people who already love these characters. Like, what was it? Years ago, I picked up uh, an issue of Thunderbolts. And I knew every character in that book. And I had a lot of affection for every character in that book. And even I couldn't tell what the fuck was was going going on. on. Even though I knew everyone. And it's like, this is the thing too, is like, I would probably know more about the Marvel universe and the history of its characters than 98% of people randomly walking on the street. And if I can't make heads or tails of this shit, what are they going to think when they pick that up? Yeah. Because you stop reading for a short period of time, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. And it's not necessarily easy to fucking to, to, to circumvent that. It's not necessarily easy to know where the entry point is to that. And then you've got most of pop culture talking about comic books as if they are arcane magical text that you have to be a fucking, like, mildly autistic and have no social skills at all, whatever, to appreciate. Like... I I think even though comic book characters are more popular than they've ever been, there is still a stigma attached to the comic book. And the comic well, book yeah, is not helping itself. It's because no. they're not in supermarkets like they used yeah, to be. Yeah, they don't cost a dollar. They anymore. don't care about a new person picking up their book anymore. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you have to have every issue be somebody's first, but it's also a recognition. And we said about this in, in another episode, maybe it's time for them to give up the ghost of the magazine monthly format. Yeah. That, uh, the, the people who come in new, um, and even the way the writers are already writing these stories, they're writing them for the trade anyways. So it's a lot easier to pick up a new trade and get a new story with these characters than it is to pick up part five of nine. And it's just, it gets so tiring that, like, again, this stuff should be way easier to sell than it is. Yeah. Um, maybe give up the ghost of, of monthlies. And sell either original graphic novels, and if you're going to sell initial issues, maybe sell them online and make them so that people who aren't people like us, people in their like late 30s, early 40s, can a fucking afford them. And, and and put them where people are. Don't just go just to comic stores. Comic stores would be should be like the specialty store that where you get the really good obscure shit. Right. But the other stuff should be available everywhere. Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah, I think... Well, we were we were talking earlier about Scholastic and the way that Scholastic has stolen a beat on Marvel and DC because they're selling directly to children yeah. and they're selling massive, massive numbers of comic books that don't get reported in comic book press because they're not distributed through Diamond. Raina Telgemeier is the unknown 
MVP World Heavyweight Champion oh, of, of comics. comic books, right? Yeah, Smile is Smile uh, Sisters. The, her adaptations of the uh, Babysitters Club. She outsells Batman on a regular oh, basis, easily. and most comic fans have no idea who she is because she actually can get hands uh, hands on copies of comic books to young people. Yeah, that it's not like you have um, you have these characters that are more popular than ever, but it's only adults that. that that read them and they're not getting new things there. Kids fucking love comics. Yes. And there are comics that they're reading that have nothing to do with Batman or Superman or Green Lantern or Spider-Man. And there are some books that Marvel and DC put out that are for them. Things like Miss Marvel. Uh, Miss Marvel's a great book for young. Things like uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. But you know what they do? They sell them in comic book stores that kids don't go into and base their sales off of single issues, which kids don't buy. Instead, it's like you got to treat that shit like vertigo. Kids are going to buy it in collections and trades. Get the trades of Miss Marvel and Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl into Scholastic books. Get those into the hands of kids that would read them. And don't fucking care if they don't sell at comic book stores because it's not fucking for them. Right. Well, that's but that's the whole thing, though. It's like, I just don't think I, Marvel is clinging to what they know. And what they know is the same shit they've been doing for forever. They're just hoping for this heyday of the gold, like a return to like the days of the golden and silver age where they, you know, they could, they could sell hundreds of thousands of copies of, of comic books. And it's like, those, those days are never coming back. And no. you're the audience that you keep fucking like catering specifically to is only getting smaller and smaller. Meanwhile, people that do walk into comic book shops, they're not getting pointed at DC and Marvel. They're getting pointed at Image and Dark Horse at Boom. They're getting because you can walk right in. You can go, oh, Saga, the entirety of Saga that's out right now would fit on one shelf of a bookcase. That's not intimidating. That is not a huge investment. I was telling Mike during one of our breaks, um, the fastest that I have ever seen a child devour a comic book was when I handed my friend's younger sister who is maybe 10 at the time, Bone, which is a 1,300-page book. And she devoured it in a couple of days. She just went nuts for it. Oh, yeah. Audrey did, too. And, I mean, like, kids want to read comics. It helps with comprehension skills. It helps with language development skills. I mean, we saw the manga explosion at bookstores Mm -hmm. because... Kids could get them. Yeah. yeah. And it's easy to know where to start. You buy the one that has a number one on the spine. Yeah. This is the thing that Image gets that Marvel doesn't. Oh, yeah. Which is that if you have a thing, tell them where to start and just send them off to the races. If I want to know where to start with The Walking Dead, I buy The Walking Dead Volume 1. If somebody comes up to me and says, where do I start with Avengers? I'm like, I don't fucking know. And I know this Which shit. Which Avengers do you want? Like, yeah. Who do you want on the team? Yeah. It's it's never been more confusing a time to love the Avengers as far as comics go. There's like nine teams that call themselves the Avengers, a different whatever. I don't even know. There's just So if something says Avengers on X-Men on it, I don't even bother. Yeah. Because it's going to be a continuity gumbo of nonsense. And I look at um, something like Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel um, by G. Willow Wilson is one of the best mainstream superhero books coming out today. And you know what G. Willow Wilson does better than any writer, and more people need to look at her for this? She knows how to handle a fucking crossover tie-in. Because she still tells a story about Miss Marvel living in Jersey City, dealing with school and her friends and dealing with her family and getting by as a Pakistani-American teenager growing up in a crazy fucking world with aliens and robots. And they still remember that when she gets sucked into Civil War II, they don't make it, oh, let's hijack this book and kill our momentum to tell a Civil War story. They hijack Civil War to tell a Miss Marvel story. That's what G. Willow Wilson does better than anyone. And it gives me the freedom that I want to ignore the fuck out of the rest of Civil War II and just enjoy the thing I already enjoy. Well, this is how they used to fucking do it. Yeah. There, there would be a, there would be some big event going on and then you'd be reading Spider-Man and it'd be like, oh, why is the Spider-Man uh, doppelganger in here? And then it would be like, see this current crossover that's going on, which worked well as advertising because then if you gave a shit, you could go and look into it. But it didn't totally destroy the fucking story that they were trying to tell in Spider-Man. But now it's like... 
and they don't even do it well. They yeah. don't even do it well. There That's what a, kills me. There was a book that I, I really loved. It was written by Rick Remender, who is a great writer. I just want to stress that. Oh, Rick I Remender. love Rick Remender. Um, he was writing uh, Secret Avengers. Great and, series. Very, uh, very underappreciated series. And I ended up dropping it fairly early on the third uh, thing because um, the first two storylines, great. I loved it. It had characters I loved. It had everything from like Steve Rogers, Super Soldier, because he wasn't um, Captain America at the time. So it's kind of like Steve Rogers as he is now in the Captain America and the Marvel movies. And then you had um, like all these B and C list characters that I love the shit out of everything from like, uh, the, the dirtbag Ant-Man, Eric O'Grady. It had the beast. It had Valkyrie moon Knight. Uh, moon Knight. It had, um, Captain Britain showed up in it. Oh, I love Captain, Britain. Captain Britain. Um, uh, it had uh, Hank Pym as their tech guy. Hank Pym, uh, was basing the team out of a satellite that orbited the Earth, but because it's Hank Pym, the satellite is the size of a basketball and it can't be detected by radar. Oh, yeah. um, Agent Venom was on that team, too. Agent Venom, um, I think uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye were both on it. It was all these cool kind of characters. Um, Captain Britain had a really cool cameo in it. Like, he saves the Queen of England from this giant monster and he gets crashed through this wall and he's like, Oh, I apologize, your majesty. And she kneel- he kneels in front of her. She's like, you know, Captain Britain, thank you for your service to the people of UK. And don't just show that, that sod what for or something like that. And it was just kind of a cool little moment, which is like, now go kick that guy's ass, Captain Britain. Um, but it was just kind of neat and it was fun. And then Avengers versus X-Men happened. And suddenly I'm in part nine of a 50 part story. Half of the cast is gone and then replaced with other people and they're in space and I don't know what the fuck they're doing. And I shouldn't have to read extra comic books to understand the comic books I'm already reading. It's like I'm being blackmailed. It's, yeah. it's like that, that trick that, that people try to do where they say you, you click on the wrong thing and a pop-up freezes your computer and tells you you have to call a phone number so that they, they can, you can, they can trick you into giving them remote access and then they blackmail you. That kind of fucking bullshit. It's like they did that with a comic book. It's like, we've freezed your comic book and you can't, you can't move forward and understand what's going on unless you give us this money and buy this fucking crossover and all these other Avengers titles. And I'm like, fuck you. I quit. And I clicked X on the top right corner of that thing um, and just moved on to something else because we live in a world of fucking riches and I don't have to buy it if I don't want to because I can fill my life with other shit. And that's that's exactly kind of where I'm at now, right? Like 20 years ago, if I wanted to read comic books, I either had to track down the few like Kitchen Sink or you know a few others like Dark Horse was doing some stuff, but like I had to read superhero comics. Now I don't have to. And my like, I got the Image Humble Bundle that just happened, and I read a shit ton. Redneck was really good. Um, Snot Girl by Brian Lee O'Malley is fucking really good. Like, uh, I was reading Sex Criminals. I was really enjoying that. Like, there is so much good shit. I don't miss yeah, superheroes. I think if you asked me my favorite comic book at any t- or my top three comic books at any time in the last five years not a one of them would be from Marvel or DC. Yeah. And that's kind of sad because I do truly love those characters. Well, and that's, that's there's, ex- there's an immense joy that can be found in these superhero comics and it's kind of being choked out of them. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where I'm at right now is that I realized that Batman was getting married and I didn't care. That's the hardest feeling in the world. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the moment when I realized and I just I gave up on it where every year Halloween would come and I tell myself I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. And I finally said, you know what? For the past five to ten years, I've never spent a calorie trying to make a costume or do anything. I think I'm done with Halloween. Yep. And it was that moment where I'm just like, I just don't care. I don't care. I want to love it, but I'm just, I'm running out of holidays I could give a shit about. And so I I brought this up. This is uh, Previews World. This is Diamond, which is the monopoly that distributes comic books. They put out their top 100 selling graphic novel and trade paperback collections for the last year, 2017. And I went through this earlier. And the thing that really stood out to me is that uh, this looks nothing like the sales for individual issues. Mm Mm-hmm. The things that sell really well, and if you look in here, um, 
of the hundred things here, I think thirty-seven to thirty-nine of them, I forget the exact number, Image Comics, uh, which is the number three. I think they, in terms of comic book um, single issues, they have something like eleven to fifteen percent market share. Yeah, yeah, I think generally Marvel and DC split about sixty-five percent of the market between them. It's like thirty-five to twenty-five. I mean. Yeah, it, it Marvel is usually the 35, and then DC is usually the 25. So the thing I know But then Image has about 10%, and then the other 25% is everybody else. Yeah. It's it's a huge drop-off after number three. It's kind of mm-hmm. like Warner Brothers, uh, 20th Century Fox, Troma. Um, <laughs> except th- these small ones make good stuff. And the no, trauma stuff. is not fucking fun. I don't care what people say. I disagree, but so, that's, that's a conversation for a different time. So looking at this list, what is the number one best-selling trade paperback collection for 2017? It's the newest volume of Saga. Oh, yeah. What is number two? The first volume of Saga, which came out in 2012. So that's a, that's a six... That's a six-year-old uh, collection that's still outselling the new Batman volume. Well, yeah, because what what is the most recent vo- uh, volume of Saga? Seven. Uh, so, yeah. I can read seven volumes. That's like, what, 40 issues, 35 issues, and be caught up. Or I can try and find an entry point into a comic book that's been happening for 70 or almost 80 years. Well, even then, I mean, Saga is a relatively new work. You can go back and read something like Why the Last Man. Mm-hmm. It's 10 volumes. It's all done. You buy them. You read them. You move on to something else. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's like Saga is all over this. 37 to 39, I think. You know what almost comes close in second place? 35 or so is uh, DC's Rebirth, where they relaunched. And it's been very successful for them, yeah. rebranching these characters. I think maybe out of this 100 list. Maybe ten are Marvel, Mar- and, and one of those is Old Man Logan, which is almost a ten-year-old book. Again, yeah, not my favorite. Also on that list, Watchmen is on there. Oh, of course, which is a book that is older than some of the people buying Saga. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are certain things that just do well, and I guess it it doesn't look anything like that. Batman is on there, but um, yeah, DC and Marvel are barely represented in the top ten. And I counted until I saw 10 volumes from DC and Marvel combined, and that was top 29. Yeah. The first uh, one that isn't Image is the first volume of the relaunched Batman title, and they, that's the fifth best-selling. So, um, and right after that is Monstrous. Uh, Rick and Morty are on here. Monstrously good. Yeah. Walking Dead is all over this list because it's still selling and it's on like volume 28 right now. And you know what? People know exactly where to start on Walking Dead. Yep. And guess what? It's so easy to translate I like this TV show into I like this comic. It's super easy because you're like, oh, I guess I'll buy the one that has a one on it. And it they, they make it. I think my friend Paul Rue once said that comic books more than any other medium make themselves so fucking hard to love. Yep. And it's it's crazy. And if it wasn't for the rebirth relaunch last year, I would be terrified to look at what this list would look like for DC too. Oh, well, yeah, they drove that right into the ground. Almost I mean, immediate. Like there were stories of um he did Teen Titans in the 80s with Marv Wolfman, he did Crisis on Oh, that's George Perez. George Perez trying to write the Superman book. And like, which was a continuation of what was happening in action comics, but nobody from action comics was telling him what they were doing. So he could not base what he was doing on there because Grant Morrison was writing action comics and Grant Morrison gets his instructions from fifth dimensional aliens that he met in Kathmandu. Yeah. I think part of the problem that you're describing is that you're talking about a serial stories that have no beginning and no ending Mm -hmm. and b a shared continuity where everything is interconnected oh yeah no and when you take both of those things away it's much easier to have a series that starts at number one and continues forward sequentially and you understand exactly what you have to read and what in what order Mm -hmm. and i think though you you can do that with these ongoing superhero titles when you just have an ongoing run like i just want to read the dan slot run on spider-man and they have those collected 
And when that's done, I just stop reading Spider-Man. I don't need to read the bunch of stuff before. It has a nice enough opening. And, of course, it's going to end with Spider-Man being the iconic Spider-Man I know. That's what happened with Mark Waid on Daredevil. It starts with one place and is left in a very similar place. And another writer can pick it up. And it's a great jumping off point when it's done. Mm -hmm. And I just have to read, like, ten trades. What they suck at with Mark Waid's Daredevil is not Mark Waid's fault. They renumbered the series halfway through Oh, it. yeah. No, it's garbage. So you yeah. start with Daredevil Volume 1 and go through, like, Daredevil Volume 7. Then you go to a different Daredevil Volume 1 and continue his run. What they did do, this is actually the, the thing I've never been so fucking happy with, is you know what they did with that same thing happened to Miss Marvel? Where they renumbered her series with a new number one, new number two, new number three? is that when they collected it in trades, they just used the same old fucking numbering right, system yeah. and they went up. So it's on volume eight now. And it, it's like, thank you. You knew that your audience was not somebody who was desperate to go through Wikipedia, that when your hold on a certain kind of crossover hit reader is so fucking tenuous, you do not give them a reason to quit. Right. You oh don't God. make it hard for them. Our, our episode list for View from the Gutters reads like nonsense sometimes because they'll be like, Episode 163, Captain Marvel, parentheses, 2016. Yeah. Episode 172, Captain Marvel, parentheses, 2018. And it's like, we'll say on the episode, like, oh, yeah, we're reading Captain Marvel volumes one, two, and three from this series, from this writer. Yeah. Not the first volume one from this writer, the second volume one from this yeah. writer. You know what the worst part is? Those all have the same fucking writer. Yeah. Yep. It's the same. Kelly Sue DeConnick has been writing the Carol Danvers version of Captain Marvel for years now, and they've renumbered it like three times. Yep. They've renumbered the trades like three times, and they know there's a contingency of hardcore fans of Kelly Sue DeConnick's want... Captain Marvel who aren't the regular Wednesday crowd, and you're making it hard for them to know where to go next. And sometimes they see a new number one, and they're like, "That's not Kelly." Like, I don't know if it's Kelly Sue DeConnick or not. I don't know to pick that up. There's this moment of confusion and doubt, and they go, "Well, maybe I should just go watch Netflix instead." Yeah, or maybe I should spend this $10 on manga, or yeah. maybe I should spend this $10 because on this. manga's not afraid of big numbers on the spine of their well, books. Well, yeah, how much did Naruto Volume 68 sell? Probably pretty well, but I don't think they kept manga on here. Because, again, this is, again, Diamond is its own little... Uh, a yeah. walled garden. Dime, diamond is half the fucking problem in the comics industry. Because you know who's not on there? Raina Telgemeier. And I guarantee you Raina Telgemeier is in like probably three of the top ten spots. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And she's, yeah, right where, now she's on where's, fire. Where's Bone on here? I don't know. I had the same thing with their monthly issue things. How well do the Archie uh, Double Digest sell in supermarkets? I bet really, really fucking well. Oh, yeah. And you know what? They they exist in a completely different universe than that because, and even then, even then, um, we don't know how well comic books actually sell because when you see those numbers from Diamond, that's not the number of books that left in the hands of a person who bought it in a store. That's the number that, that stores bought. bought. Yeah. So half of those things could be sitting in a back issue bin, hoping that someone will buy yeah. them, and there's no reason to buy them because the trades are out. Well, and this is how Diamond keeps the industry hostage. Yeah, and they do this with, with things like variant covers, that if you buy this many copies of X, you'll get this one that has a slightly different cover that some crazy person will pay you 50 bucks for, and then hopefully that'll pay for, pay for that giant pile of paper that won't sell, yep. that you know you can't sell, but pads the sales numbers for these things. So when Batman says they sell 100,000 copies every issue, I don't know how many readers there are. Yeah, and it's the thing that annoys me when people are like, well, digital comics would kill comic book shops and i'm like diamond is killing comic book shops yeah no, by well, you putting all, an undue burden on the financial burden on them you also occasionally have this problem where you'll see the sales charts and it'll be like the number two book sold seventy-two thousand copies the number one book sold two million copies and it's like well what the fuck happened there it's because it was bought by one of these loot box yes. systems, uh, yeah. and they put a copy in every single loot box that they sold. And it's like, if your market is so small that one large buyer can completely throw off your metrics, yeah. you have a fucking problem. You didn't now. sell that many issues to to readers. You sold that issue to loot box. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they just... It, it's... You can't brag about those numbers because they don't mean anything. Yes, let the anger fill you. Yes. Oh, God, it's just, I look at this and I'm like, you know, if, you, if, you're a, if you're an industry 
that you largely have to sell your, your wares through a small group of small businesses that aren't chains, that don't have a lot of money, that are frequently living hand to mouth. Why do you treat them like shit? Right. Why do you treat retailers like this? And it's, a lot of them feel like they're held hostage because the sales to a lot of these stores to keep open rely on Marvel and DC. And the stores that I think that do that are the healthiest place are the ones that have largely image readers. And the the people who own the store usually doesn't get to choose, you know, what kind of readership comes into their store. Their store gets decided by the people who come in. It's like yep. if I have a store that just loves Saga, and I mean, there are ways that your store can change it through really, really cool people that work there who give great recommendations and get people excited about comics. But it shouldn't be the job of, you know, fucking employees like me and others that have to keep your thing open. You fucking run your own business. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the job, and I've worked at enough bookstores to know that my job is to make people want to like this stuff. And you guys are not making it fucking easy. No. Yeah. And I think that's, that's ultimately the bottom line. Like, I don't want to yell at comic creators. I don't want to say I hate this person because they fucked up my book or I'm mad because I was enjoying this book and this crossover happened. Like I read comics to have a good time. I want to read interesting stories and enjoy myself. And it's infuriating. It's frustrating to have to deal with all the bullshit that exists in the comic industry. And I'm sure that there are a lot of creators out there who go, yeah, I hate it too. I wish there there was a better way that I could make a living because the way that this is set up is not cool. But like that, I mean, that is the situation that we're in and it's not going to get any better until you have the weekend or the Wednesday warriors stop buying bullshit comics that they don't want Mm -hmm. because they have to keep their collection complete or you have, you know, comic book executives saying, if you don't buy the floppy issues, if you're a trade waiter, you are killing that comic and you are killing the comic industry. Fuck you. Yeah. 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 Like, you know what? I'm sorry. You don't get to choose how I buy your product. And if, if you, cancel something that's making you money because I'm not buying it in the right way. You are shooting yourself. You are hurting yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. Cause at the end of the day, right. It's not my responsibility that you're shitty at marketing because you refuse to fucking do anything to make that fucking product more accessible. The, the new 52 sold like gangbusters at first, not because the stuff they were putting out was great. Some of it was, but most of it was really mediocre you know why it, you know why it sold really well because they, they fucking, marketed the shit out of it they advertised outside yeah. of comic books yeah. it's like you you do know that you're trying to make money right and that you want more people to buy your stuff and uh, honestly anybody if if i live if you live in the sort of world where superheroes are making billions of dollars for your parent companies and you can't sell a hundred thousand copies of any one of these characters, even a B-list character. I mean, I don't know what your plans are, but it should probably involve seppuku. Because that is, you should feel <laughs> nothing but shame. How can you fail that badly? I mean, how can you... So this is the, the actual prescriptive advice I would give to our listeners. Don't buy something just so you can have a complete collection of a thing you don't like. Yeah. If you don't like it, just stop. Let's just say stop hitting yourself. We live in a world where there is so much good stuff that you don't have to do this. I mean, the thing with having a complete collection and continuity and all that stuff is that none of these characters are ever going to have a last issue that is definitive. That we can have, you know, last issues that are, you know, like an imaginary last issue, like, you know, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow or Old Man Logan or Hulk the End, or any of these books that's an imaginary ending. But they're never going to end. None of this continuity and this stuff, counting or not, is ever going to lead to something. There's no last episode of Breaking Bad or MASH or any of these TV shows that have an ending, or like Akira. There's no definitive ending. All there is is that it's going to lead into the next thing until you get sick of it. So if that thing is not making you happy, just fucking stop. Stop reading it. Vote with your dollar. And that's the only thing that will ever change it. Don't don't buy stuff so that you can accurately complain about it. Yeah, that's yeah, this is the curse of the comic book geek. And yeah, I stopped. 
and I'm a happier person because I mean there was a time when the mere mention of Jeff John's name would would send me off into paroxysms of rage, but I don't now it's just medium rage. rage, Now it's just medium rage, yeah, because I don't care because I've stepped away. That's what I'm saying. It's not worth getting angry about. No, not anymore. Just stop. There's there's better shit to spend spend your time with things that bring you joy. Like, especially in a day and age where you can just keep an eye on sites like Humble Bundle and spend $25. I spent $25 and I got enough comics that I was able to read for almost two solid days when Audrey was at her state retreat because I chaperoned. And, and like, your daughter. Yeah. My, oh, I'm sorry. I forget. I'm, we're not on views. Yeah. My, my daughter, Audrey. I've mentioned her before, I think. Yeah. But like, seriously, there is that much good shit out there. And you do not have to be held hostage by an industry that only sees you as a dollar sign. Like, go out there and support, create your own properties. Go out there and support uh, um, publishers that let their creators keep and monetize their own intellectual property. Go out there and support people that are making a product that came they came up with and they lovingly rendered and they fought to get out there. And don't worry about your the comic book number. Like... You can walk away from that and be a happier person because they're not going to take like nobody will ever take Bruce Wayne murderer, Bruce Wayne fugitive away from me. I have it on my shelf. I can read it whenever I want. And they could turn Batman into a bat joker, clown man, awfulness, edgelord from hell. I still have that. I still I'll always I broke into your house and I stole those. I will rip your arms off. Oh, they're out of print now. I know they're out of print. Well, they but no. they, you can still get the they re-released it because I have the original ones. The point still stands. But the point still stands. But they yeah. re, they recolored. I it have digitally. it on my shelf. I don't care about that. My oh, name dial- is uh, new dialogue by Jeff Johns, and they okay. put in dobacks. Yeah. So there's going to be a headline tomorrow. Man beats two men to death in basement. <laughs> Wouldn't be the Thumbs, first time. It would not be the first. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. I am a movie critic by trade, and until recently, I got paid to tell you people which movies merely stink and which ones you shouldn't screen near an open flame. Well, I'm putting the burden of lousy movies back on you. It's very simple. If you stop going to bad movies, they'll stop making bad movies. Uh Uh-oh, the jig is up. 